0: It's Monday on The Hoop Collective, Andrew Hahn here. Cassidy Hubberth is in rehearsals for the Lottery Draft Show, but today we have Chineo Gumake talking with Kevin Pelton about the surprising Game 1 Eastern Conference Finals, and Ramona Shelburne chatting with Royce Young about his unconventional pick of taking the number one seed Houston Rockets in seven over the Golden State Warriors. Here we go.
1: Yeah. Here we go.
2: Your girl, Shanae Gumake here with Kevin Pelton. Kevin, where are you at?
3: Here in Seattle.
2: Beautiful. You know, I'm in WNBA training camp. Are you going to make it to a Storm game this summer? I hope you are.
3: Oh, as many as I'm in town for. I'll be there on Sunday for the opener against Phoenix. It was at the preseason game last Tuesday, so you don't have to Look worry about that. me.
2: See, that's what I love. You know what? I'm out. I'm actually out here. I'm in Connecticut and I'm dying. We have training camp. It's been about like three weeks. I'm trying to get my legs. I'm trying to get my lungs. But nonetheless, when I'm resting, I'm of course watching the NBA playoffs. And Kevin, I mean, game one. I feel like this was a curveball. Did you expect LeBron James to sort of be human in this game? Because the Celtics, they they came out like the superheroes. Like they were playing in Infinity Wars, okay? And they were they had Thanos or Thanos, however they say it, on their side. I mean. The Celtics, they won 108-83. Were you expecting this, or do you think this is the, the way it's going? LeBron sort of just getting his feet wet game one and really putting in work game two.
3: I mean, I never expect LeBron to be human. Do, do you at this point? I mean, you know. <laughs> no. Yeah. So it was certainly surprising. It, it was a weird game for LeBron. I mean, a Give all the credit to Boston for the way they came out defensively against him, not giving him any easy any easy looks. But you thought, you know, he gets into the post in the first quarter, hits one of those turnaround jumpers like he destroyed Toronto with in the second half of that game, two blowout last round, and you're like, okay, order has been restored a little bit here. But then it wasn't, and it was a a quiet performance from LeBron, the kind I don't feel like we've seen from him, you know, really for a few years here.
2: Yeah, but rightfully so. I mean, sometimes you're allowed to take a day off. And I feel like LeBron, he's put so much of his energy into this playoffs. And you know what's funny? A lot of times players and and teams, they expect, especially if you're considered favorite, to go in there and sweep. It seems like the Cavs are like, you know what? We're prepared to go seven games. That's the way it's going to be. And that's why I was surprised because I thought that, okay, after Toronto, they've hit their peak. They're about to keep playing at that level. But the Cavs, it's sort of been like a like a soap opera as the world turns. You know, one day you'll get them high and one day you might catch them low. But I think they're playing better basketball. Now, before we even get back into, like, the Cavs and their struggle bus, um, because this was, like, flashes flashback to uh, when they had the trades and we're like, oh, they're over. Well, not really because, obviously, LeBron James is still on the team. But before we flashback to that, what did you think about the Beautiful Mind? Being asked about okay, what happened on this sequence of events? And he could tell everyone, okay, this is what happened. He took that shot, and then next thing you know, we had the turnover, and then he got that bucket. Like
4: Marla Rodney, right our Akron Beacon Journal win. The start of the fourth, I think they cut it to 14. Um, do you have any idea what, I mean, I think they scored seven quick ones, anything, what happened there?
2: What happened? Um, we ran them the first possession. We ran them down all the way. To two on the shot clock, Marcus Morris missed a jump shot, followed it up, he got, they got a dunk. Uh, we came back down, we ran a set for Jordan Crawford, I mean, Jordan Clarkson, and he came off and missed it. They rebounded. Um, and we came back on the defensive end, and we got a stop, they took it out on the sideline. Jason Tatum took the ball out, threw it to Marcus Smart in the short corner, he made a three. We come back down, missed another shot, and then, um, Tatum came down and went 94
0: feet, did a year step and made a right hand layup timeout.
2: <laughs> there you go. To me, I can't even remember what I ate for breakfast. And I'm a hooper. Um, I can't I can't even imagine on spot to know exactly what happened. What were your impressions of that?
3: That's funny to hear your perspective. I mean, I kind of feel like one of the most underrated uh, skills or attributes for a great player is that kind of photographic memory, because that's what kind of enables LeBron. I mean, it's not he's not just using it to recite play by play in the post game press conference, because we have play by play, we can we could use that. But what he's able to do, I, I think, a lot of the time is you know read the the coverage and the the way a team is defending him, and he knows you know, this is how this has been done to me before. And this is how I beat it. And I, so I feel like that's a, a really crucial component of LeBron's success. H- how important do you feel like memory is for a <laughs> basketball player?
2: You know, it's funny when it comes to breakfast, I won't remember. But if there's something emotional that happens in the game or where you're mad or coming out of a timeout or the start of a quarter where you had a game plan, you can remember those string of events. Now, if it's in the middle of like an isolated attack and and, and, and that's when you ask? To me, that's a little bit more challenging. But regardless, the fact that he can remember offense, defense, who did what, what offense we're running, like, to me, that's, that's next level. Like, that's something I aspire to have. I remember plays when they have an emotional impact to me, whether I scored, if I had a bad shot, and where I'm like, oh, you know, chastising myself in my head, um, or if there's something that really significant happened, nothing like, oh, on a dime, like, it's sort of like looking into, uh, what is it, the box score? And you can't watch the game live and you're following every possession. That seems to be LeBron James's brain. But I thought I to me, not many hoopers can do that. Right well, on the spot in the middle of a press conference. Not many hoopers can do that.
3: Right. Who who had the best like recall for plays of players you've played with?
2: Uh probably the old heads, the vets, I'm not gonna lie.
0: <laughs>
3: right.
2: Because I mean with time and experience, that's how you read the game. That's how you uh prove longevity in your career. So the older players tend to understand the game more, they they get reads better. Young players, they tend to react to what the defense is doing. Instead, you know, as you grow older, year 15 for LeBron, you can see why he's, he's peaking and still in his prime at year 15. As me, I'm just like at year five, technically three based on my injuries. So I'm still just trying to get a read for the game and feel for the game, but he's been a point forward his whole life. So, um, he's had a crash course since he was a rookie day one, year 18 or 18 years old. To me, like when I watched that, I was like, that's crazy, but. At the same time, I was like, "Why is LeBron's brain a bigger storyline than Game One?" <laughs> Boston really came out there and put on a sensational effort. I mean, defensively, the fact that Marcus Morris could, you know, back up his talk, defend LeBron, and not only defend LeBron—I believe he had 21 points, so he outscored LeBron as well. Um, and then, you know, I was on uh, I was on Get Up earlier this week, or maybe that was last week. You know, the days merge during training camp, and. um we, I went in and I was like Jalen what who's the best rookie in the postseason if you had to give a rookie of the year in the postseason who would you give it to now Kevin I want to get your answer but Jalen said Donovan Mitchell and I was like nah I think it's Jason Tatum because he's playing his best basketball and his team needs it so much do you agree or are you still on like the Donovan Mitchell is still better because he put his whole team on his back the whole year
3: Yeah, I think Tatum has surpassed Mitchell and Simmons at this point for that. And it's kind of interesting going to your point about, you know, still learning the game, young players. I mean, this Boston team, has the youngest roster waited for minutes played in the playoffs so far. And this is one of the reasons, I think, that I was kind of relatively down on them before the season. Like, you're counting on a lot of young players to replace guys like Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley who have departed, that doubly so after Gordon Hayward went down in the first game of the season. And that's not usually a recipe for for playoffs, regular season success or particularly playoff success. So one thing I was curious about, um, Jeff Van Gundy was – uh, decisive during the game and saying he felt like, you know, is the Celtics were taking the lead, that this isn't surprising to him, that they have the better roster, they have the better talent. Do you agree with that? Because I, I, I don't. I think Cleveland has the better talent when you account for LeBron.
2: See, that's the thing. The question is whether it's dispersal of talent or top-heavy talent, right? Right. So LeBron is clearly going to overweight. You know, it's funny. I think Bleacher Report put out, like, a Instagram picture. You know they're so crazy with their cartoons, and it's basically a game of tug-of-war. And it's LeBron, and there's a cliff, and then there's all the Celtics. And that's sort of what the series seems like it's going to have to be. LeBron is going to have to put on a huge performance. Now, the big thing that got exposed was three-point shooting. That was from the jump. The fact that none of the Cavs can really knock down a three consistently shows you that LeBron's game can only be unlocked at a high level if his teammates are able to support him from the three-point line. But, you know, to me, I'm just like, okay, on bad shooting nights, I feel like you should still find ways to score and be successful and productive. What did you see out there that they can do um, in the future, considering if they they do miss shots like they did before? Because I feel like it's not going to be easy to make shots game two, because game one— I mean, Boston was on fire. The crowd was scintillating. Um, I feel like it's not going to be that much easier for J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver to find shots. What do you think about uh, their chances uh, behind the three-point line to help them, the Cavs?
3: So I think that was one of the big differences for the Cavs between the Indiana series and the Toronto series. Against Indiana, only better than 40 percent from three in one of those seven games. They shot 23 23% percent in 23.5 percent in Game One, which was still better than they managed uh, yesterday, going four of six from three point. Right, but then Toronto it completely flips all of a sudden. Corver's in the starting lineup. He's on fire. Kevin Love you know, gets back to playing like the Kevin Love we've seen in the past, and they're above 40% three of those four games. That's a big factor in why they swept Toronto after that struggle against Indiana in the first round. So yeah, they're definitely going to have to shoot better, and I think they will. Uh, Boston has historically had more success holding opponents uh, below their three-point shooting averages than almost anyone in the league, but you know you, it's it's a difficult thing to do over an extended period of time to do that Very eventually true. teams are going to kind of find the water no matter how good you are defensively so but to your to your point about what can they do when those shots aren't falling i mean i think you know the the template is maybe kind of that 2015 finals uh, against or two, yeah 2015 finals against the warriors when kevin love was out kyrie was out after game 1 and the game plan was you know, LeBron-centric, him holding the ball an extended period of time, making all the decisions really slow-paced, grinded out against the Warriors. And that was reasonably successful until they went small and went to the death lineup. But the key component is that is then you have to defend in a way that the Cavs don't generally defend and didn't defend in game one.
2: You know, I love it. You mentioned the death lineup. We have so many death lineups in the NBA. The Warriors have a death lineup. The Rockets have a death lineup. Now the Celtics, the Cavs have one. It's always funny. But um, with the Celtics, you know, in the previous series, especially with the 76ers, I believe their true X factor, and everyone knows this, it's not hidden, is Brad Stevens. I mean, the ability of him um, coming out of timeouts, which we saw in the 76ers series, I think it was like at the end of regulation, then twice in overtime where he drew up plays where those guys scored and converted. Pressure plays, key clutch plays, I believe it was game four. What impact? has Brad Stevens had on the Celtics, that he's able to prepare these guys, young guys? You know how many times we hear on the broadcast, 21-year-old, 19-year-old. What impact has Brad had on this on this franchise at such a young stage? And do you think that this Celtics team is, is a team that really has a chance to win? Because a lot of people are saying, oh, don't worry, it's game one. LeBron James will, um, you know, carry them through. I feel like these Celtics, if there's any team, it's them, especially with Brad Stevens.
3: So our colleague Zach Lowe had a great piece last week on kind of the Celtics toughness and and what they've been doing in the playoffs. And I thought, you know, one of the interesting points he had in there was that Stevens has kind of been encouraging the players all year not to let their youth be an excuse to, you know, kind of give the, uh, the idea of we can still do this now. Basically, that's been their, their philosophy. It was their philosophy after Hayward went out. It kind of doubled down after Kyrie Irving went down. And I I think that's important because if you're thinking about the guys you don't have rather than focusing the talent that you do have, I I imagine it becomes a lot more difficult to, you know, believe that you can be successful. You're going to start to think the same things that the rest of us on the outside thought about them as soon as Kyrie Irving went down, that they were probably doomed, you know. In the second round of the playoffs, if they even got that far, so they've they've already proven us wrong from that standpoint. Um, I also thought it was interesting, you know. Zach mentioned that piece, something that hasn't been discussed before, that Stevens doesn't let them haze rookies is kind of part of this philosophy of making sure they feel like part of the valued part of the team and people who are important part of the team. And you know, I mean, I don't think that directly translates into Jason Tatum what, doing what he's doing in the same way that the X's and O's do. But I, I thought that was really fascinating in terms of. In empowering your young players
2: yeah I agree hazing and as someone who's gone through many locker rooms at many different stages high school college pro um hazing is kind of overrated now there's cute hazing where you fill the rookies cars with popcorn but um I think the goal is nowadays especially in the NBA let those rookies cook if they're able to I mean look at the special rookie class in the NBA it's one of the best classes people have said arguably since what 2003 um Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, it's a, it's a really special time, not only for Boston, but for rookies. Um, but but with the Celtics, I'm I'm really intrigued because I feel like there's still so much more. And we're like we're they're feeding us. They're feeding our hunger and desire for great games in the playoffs. But it's just funny. You you see Kyrie, you see Gordon at the end of the bench, and you wonder, wow, is this just like is this actually better in the long run? Because now you have these young players like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Really, getting extremely valuable experience, especially in high-pressure games right now. But then next year, they add that and then some back. How do you see these Celtics really developing in the future? I mean, regardless of how this playoff ends up for them.
3: I mean, I think it's going to be really intriguing because you know Hayward offers such a. You add him to Tatum and Jalen Brown. Now all of a sudden, you've got three interchangeable wings, all of whom can shoot, pass defend multiple positions. I mean, that's the ideal modern lineup. If you're playing those three guys together with Al Horford and his versatility, et cetera, and then presumably Kyrie at point guard. And, you know, they, they, they have managed to uh find ways to replace their scoring so far, but you get those two guys out there, and you 're obviously going to be more dangerous than when you're you know having when you're reaching into the seventh spot in the or eighth spot in the rotation and it's Chemi Ogile, who has done a nice job for them defensively but isn't that kind of offensive presence i mean it's it's really frightening to think what these Celtics are going to be, but i'm curious what's the perspective like I mean, you were sort of in that situation last year with the Sun where they kind of came together more quickly than expected while you were on the (laughs) sidelines. What's that like as a player? And then what's it been like kind of reintegrating so far this year?
2: Yeah, no, thank you for, um, you know, reminding me about my life and my inner struggle right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's funny. Coming back from an Achilles injury is not easy. You know, I've already had microfracture surgery, but I'm lucky because everyone's like, you're young, you can bounce back. Well, I'm bouncing back, and it's great, and it's fun. Um, I'm glad to be there with my team. But it does take an adjustment because while you're off the court, the team has built something special. So while Kyrie and Gordon have been off the court, look at what the the, the amazing um, experiences and memories that these young kids are having. And I say young kids, but they're they're really not young kids because they're they're playing better than some veterans. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's difficult to be on the sidelines. But once you're back, it just takes a little bit of time to get the chemistry. Now, fortunate, I've had training camp for like three weeks, so I feel pretty good. Um, and one of our big star players, uh, John Cole Jones, <laughs> hasn't been back yet. She's the only other five that's really had like major minutes the past few years. So I've really had no subs and I've been dying and it's been perfect for me <laughs> because it's gotten me back <laughs> in shape. But I see a lot of similarities between the Celtics and my son team. Um, and it's ironic because there are big brothers to the north. I see a lot of similarities because uh absence, you know, not only makes the heart grow stronger, or was it fonder? What's the phrase? Absence makes the heart grow fonder, but at the yep. same time you, you add depth. And the the depth already on this Celtics team is crazy. But then you add in those missing pieces from the playoffs and then also from game one with Gordon Hayward. Um, But it's been nuts, but you brought up out and I I feel like we should have an Al Horford appreciation moment (laughs) because this man, like a lot of people were saying, Oh, he's been doing well. Like he's had a great year defensively. You know, he he was an all-star. He was an all-star. He wasn't picked last. I think they said that was, was, who was it? LaMarcus Aldridge. I can't remember. Um, but he's he's been an all-star and he's been an underrated all-star, but he's always been respected in Boston as as the focal point, the voice, the anchor, the veteran of this team. And it's interesting because I don't know where I read it, but I know they said that he sort of kept a lot in the tank. Um, he practiced with like the um, the second group a lot during practice so he could get more rest. And now it seems like that's working because he's playing his best basketball right now.
3: Absolutely. I mean this is you know, I, I, I've always had great appreciation for Al Horford's game, even when uh you know, in the context of his max salary, people start to wonder about the fact that he's not putting up per game stats, including our uh our fellow individual in the hoop collective, Brian Windhorst, uh, in a famous podcast last year that he's been called to task on. But <laughs> This is a whole other level from Horford in terms of, you know, first off, the the three point shooting has been there all season, and now in the playoffs, it's just wreaking havoc against James defensively because <laughs> no. it's it's so difficult to, you know, find a, a five man who can defend Horford in the post, or you know, if you if you're switching a smaller defender on him, that's going to be a problem. He's going to be able to beast against a guard in the post or to be able to close out well enough to handle that pick and pop for the the three. I mean, that that forced Philly to move Joel Embiid off of him and on to Marcus Morris. And, you know, we've already seen Cleveland is probably going to have to adjust with starting Tristan Thompson, it sounds like, in game two, and going back to that lineup uh, alongside Kevin Love and, and taking some shooting off the court. So, you know, that's that's Horford. And then, you know, at the defensive end of the court, just nobody better in terms of the versatility to defend fours and fives uh defend the pick and roll switch when necessary I mean he just he just does so much of everything even if it doesn't always end up in the box score
2: so before we switch to my favorite player on the Celtics right now currently that's underrated as well which we've meant we have not mentioned but we'll get to it um Al Horford uh obviously you know you mentioned he's, he's very valuable and and his role really and tell me if I'm crazy or not Kevin okay his role to me is very similar to what Draymond Green's role is, but he, he's a better offensive player, in my opinion. Um, but do you see this Celtics team? I don't know why I keep seeing shades of this. They seem a lot like the Warriors, in my opinion. Maybe not the shooters, but their versatility, their length, their positionless nature, and then also the fact that they play small in their death ball lineup. And Al Horford does a lot of what Draymond Green does.
3: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good comparison in that regard. His ability to switch back and forth from four and five and give them totally different looks when you know they've got Baines in there is kind of the more the uh, Zaza Pachulia option in the Warriors analogy is compared to when they go you know to Marcus Morris at the four and and that's more of the uh the Warriors death lineup style. And then yes, the uh, the number of interchangeable wings, uh, the size, the the other aspect of it is the fact that you know when the Celtics quote unquote. Or it's just like the Warriors, when they quote unquote play small, they're not really playing small because you've still got Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum on the wing, and those are big wings. It's only really a point guard with Terry Rogier that, you know, they're even probably average sized. I, I wouldn't say that Terry Rogier is a small point guard. Uh, so, you know, I think that's kind of where the comparison comes. They don't really, they don't have the offensive firepower that Golden State does, but you can see the uh, similarities in how these two teams have been built.
2: Oh, you came to my favorite guy, Kevin. Scary Terry.
3: Scary <laughs>
2: Terry. After Donovan Mitchell, I really thought that Donovan Mitchell had the T-shirt game on lock with the rookie question mark, the rookie definition. But Scary Terry has levels to his T-shirt game, okay? And I love him because, in my opinion, Kyrie Irving, who was so important before he he was out ruled out for the playoffs, in my opinion, there's no other player in the NBA, maybe Steph Curry, maybe Damian Lillard. Okay, maybe one of Houston's point guards, but um, there's no other player that brings such a valuable element that you would miss with Kyrie being out. Like, Scary Terry provides that. I, I don't know if I'm like, it's a hot take, but he's more of a true passer than Kyrie. Kyrie is obviously a killer, a scorer. Scary Terry can get you triple doubles. He's athletic. And somehow in this Brad Stevens machine, he's able to maintain the same level of competitiveness that the Celtics had with with Kyrie now that they have with him on the floor. I feel like he's also, throughout the whole season, he's one of those guys that came into the game, and you're like, why is he on the bench? Couldn't he start for some of these tanking franchises? Gary Terry, Terry Rozier to me is is, is, is truly the, the focal point of why this engine really goes. Now, Jason Tatum has done a lot, but Terry Rozier to me is the reason why this team is still competitive. Do you see that value in his game, or do you think I'm crazy for for going all in on Scary Terry?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, he definitely could start in the league. There's no doubt about that. And it's incredible this kind of run he's had in the playoffs because you know the th- thing was I, I went to go look at it when Kyrie first went down. And it's like you know Rogier, uh, they've been reasonably successful. They're still winning almost two thirds of their games without Kyrie. I assume that. Terry's been a big part of it, but you know, even though he was scoring a lot more in that larger role, his efficiency was way down, you know, for the, through the first couple of months when he played in place of Kyrie and had that greater offensive load on him. But in the playoffs, because of the fact that he's shooting 40% from three, he's been able to maintain that efficiency in the bigger role. And that's when you get a guy who, you know, right now, I mean, he's playing, I'd say at an all-star level, I think in the playoffs.
2: Oh. All-star level. So we've got an all-star in the playoffs in the postseason, and we've got a rookie of the year in Jason Tato also in the postseason. That's why the Celtics are thriving. And it's funny, I feel I feel like a lot of people, because we're talking about this Cavs matchup, we've barely talked about the Cavs, and people are probably gonna be mad because we should always talk about the Cavs, regardless. Um, but you wanna know something funny? I played Pictionary, so I worked with the Celtics, Celtics.com quite a bit um during the season and this, this whole um NBA season. And so one of the things we did is we played Pictionary. It was me, uh, Terry Rozier, Shane Larkin versus, um, you know, it was me and Amanda Flubrad, one of their reporters. And I made the big mistake of helping Terry Rozier out. So, so Shane drew a picture. Um, you know Pictionary. Like, it's a stick figure. And there was a man bun on top of it. And I was like, oh, that's Aaron Baines because they're really struggling in Pictionary. That's Aaron <laughs> Baines. I sort of whispered it. And after that, Terry really took off and, like, started killing the game. And then we eventually lost. So I, I'm still mad that I helped the bros out um, because it ends up, you know, being a loss. But I, I feel like we should get used to um, Celtics giving teams losses based on, you know, I should have seen that coming back then. This team right. is really ready to go. You know, he handed me a loss, hands the Cavs a loss. This, this Celtics uh, team is on the, the come up. So I, I've learned to stay in my lane and not, not help, help the brothers out, uh, Terry Rozier and Shane Larkin. And Pictionary, especially.
3: They they don't need the help at yeah they don't need the help at this point. So I I guess the question I didn't ask answer of yours from way back is you know what how do I feel about this series now? I mean I still think Cleveland is the favorite in this series. They they only need to win one time you know in Boston to to get home court advantage. It doesn't have to be in Game One and. Even though this was a blowout, I think kind of the shooting, the three point shooting in particular exacerbated the difference between these two teams. So I still think Cleveland is the favorite, but yeah, I mean, I think you have to very much acknowledge the chance that Boston wins this series at this point. They, they, they are the team with home court advantage and they're up one nothing and they haven't been beaten at home so far this playoffs.
2: Well, ask Andrew Hahn. I am the queen of bandwagons. And so as much <laughs> as I have really supported and and topped high upon my brothers up north and the Celtics, I still think that the Cavs and LeBron James are going to win the series. Probably in six. Probably in six. My, my guess is six. Probably not five. But um, nonetheless, I feel like we should put some respect on Boston for all the effort that they've been doing in the postseason. I was surprised by that 76 sixer series um, with with them still unprocessing. That was a cute little Boston video that they made with – who was it? Which Wahlberg was it? I can never tell.
3: I assume Donnie. <laughs> Donnie's the one at the games, right? <laughs>
2: the one with the beret yeah it's gotta be Donnie. gotta be Donnie.
3: before uh
0: before we let you go do you want to give our listeners like a 30 second peek into what training camp is like
2: oh man okay so what is training camp like it's just a lot of practicing so first of all it's like 20 people that come together um you know whether you're drafted or you just you make a training camp roster and then it's a fight for the finish i'm fortunate because i'm you know, I have a stable place with my team um, coming back from injury that I know that I'm I'm good. So I'm using this time to get in shape and refine my game. But man, people are scrapping and fighting because in the WNBA, we have 12 roster spots in the NBA. Isn't it 15? And then it could be is it 15 plus the two way uh, two way guys? I'm not even yep. sure the full numbers. Yeah. So like we have a very limited roster, so it's really competitive. But it's it's a lot of practicing, a lot of scrimmaging. We had three preseason preseason games. We won three and zero, baby. We undefeated, never lost. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's just a lot of fine tuning, get, getting your rhythm. It's just like a, it's like a boot camp. It's a boot camp to prepare for the season. And it's been three weeks. It's about to be three weeks. Our first game is on Sunday, this coming Sunday. And guess what? Guess who we play? My second game.
3: I mean, assuming that you, it's got to be the Sparks, right?
2: Yep, you got it. <laughs> sister showdown. So I get one game to get warm, and then I play against my sister on the second game it's at home at least and you know what a fun fact uh kevin probably already knows this as well i've never beat my sister professionally never like i've been in the league for five years
3: this is i did not the realize year. that
2: this wow. is gonna be the year i'm saying it right now we are beating the sparks we are beating the sparks game two of the year okay just kidding make sure you guys if like don't tweet her this or anything just <laughs> keep it on the. <laughs>
0: do you uh do you keep talk more y'all. trash or less trash when uh when you're going up against Neca?
2: Oh, my gosh. She doesn't even know who I am. I don't <laughs> register as a human being when I play against her. So I remember the first time we did the tip-off, I was like, okay, she got the tip. She got more bounce than me, okay? I'm not going to lie. We're running back, and I looked at her I was like, I can't believe this is happening. This is my rookie year. She didn't even know who I was. I think she thought I was, like, public enemy number one. She went on the block, literally did a jab step, like, jab step. Hit a little fadeaway shot on me. I was like, oh, shoot, I better come to play because my sis is about to disrespect me in front of my family, and my friends and TV and everything. Um So, yeah, she forgets who I am. I don't trash talk because middle children, younger younger siblings know that you can't trash talk uh, <laughs> big siblings or else they go like all crazy, like Hulk smash on you. So I just let my game do the talking, you know what I'm saying? But we still be catching L. So this has to change. Game two, it's going to change. OK, guys.
3: We're holding you to it.
1: <laughs> Please don't.
0: <laughs> I got a question for you. This is real, real talk,
1: as opposed to the f- oh, because everything
0: <laughs> we do is fake talk. Yeah, this, this <laughs> exactly. Is
1: talk. Why do I live in New York? Yeah, this is the. Uh, I was going to say it's the best city in the world, but the, the my like Chicago yeah, heart just like jumped out of my chest and like almost like strangled <laughs> me. Um, but it is uh, it's a great one city. of the it's one of the best cities in the world. It um, has
0: terrible weather.
1: Yeah, but like I said before, I'm from Chicago, okay? I I know this weather. And so... It's like,
0: it would be like saying, you've spent some time in Los Angeles. You've seen what the weather's like. It's like having filet. And then they're like, go back to this ground chuck. And then you're like, the ground chuck is good though, because I grew up eating like spam or something.
1: I used to eat Spam, though. Spam's That's boring. another Asian thing. Yeah, spam that's, that's and spam's rice. great, yeah. Fry that up. It's not great. Let's not get crazy. No, it is. You What's know? wrong with it? It's not. No, it's not. It's not like the Goodyear Tire of uh, meats here. Because Goodyear Tire strives <laughs> to make tires that go further, faster, and longer. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> They're inspired by those who put in the work and effort needed to succeed. So, not the Spam, Goodyear Tire. It's not the spam of tires.
0: What, it what is the, you the filet
1: mignon tire of tires. It's
0: the Los Angeles of tires. Is what you're saying.
1: No, I just chill out with that. <laughs> Los Angeles is not the best. No, no.
0: Los Angeles weather is the best.
1: Yeah, but you guys have some like crazy stuff happen.
0: Yeah, like car you chases. Have, you know,
1: fires and mudslides and all the time. Yeah. You know, oh my, all of that. Mountain I mean,
0: lions. Ohm is out yeah. here.
1: In New York, it's like we can put the filet mignon of tires to good use. I can feel safe on the roads because when it comes to choosing tires, choose right at Goodyear.com. Goodyear. More driven.
0: I mean, do do, do the subway tracks use Goodyear tires? Because no one drives out there. Everyone takes- No, it
1: just do the good Goodyear the, the, the subways just kind of ride along the rats. <laughs> like, the super, <laughs> like the rats just carry the, the subways. Oh my God. And they're like super rats ever since um. Hurricane Sandy, because Hurricane Sandy like came and like killed a bunch of rats. And so the, the weak ones, ones that, sur- <laughs> yeah, and so the ones that survive are like are, are like splinter,
0: oh like my on steroids. God. Holy crap! Yeah,
1: so they, they they basically carry the subways, so they're very efficient. They're like the filet mignon of no, they're the good gear of subways. Because when it comes to choosing tires, choose right. Goodyear. dot com. More <laughs> driven.
0: Uh these are great. We should just we should just do a podcast of all ad reads. You no know, actual <laughs> <Yeah. talk>.
2: <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
4: Ramona Shelburne, I'm in Houston, and Royce Young, you might as well be in Houston, because you're apparently now a big Rockets homer or something. Yeah, one, that's like, where my three. heart is, Ramona. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, wait, what, you already turned on the Thunder?
5: I yeah, that's exactly what I love, I love I love three things right now in the world, according to Twitter. I love uh, the Thunder, I love the Rockets, and I also love the Jazz, uh, ironically, because I, I, I fell in love with Donovan Mitchell during that series.
4: But those of us who know you know that there is actually a fourth thing that you really love, and it's Ketchup.
5: that's very (laughs) true there's no bigger homer in the world than than me for ketchup
4: maybe don mattingly i don't know you might be too young to know that story but there's a there's a interesting uh like peter gammons when he was writing for sports illustrated there's this great don mattingly profile and it's all about how he puts ketchup on everything i mean it's not the whole thing it's about but that's part of it (laughs)
5: us (laughs) us geniuses we all kind of we all kind of uh, gravitate towards things like that, so yeah. it, it makes sense. <laughs> so, so what's up? Are one and the same.
4: What's up? But You just like covered them from one series, and you're all aboard. Run as one. You know, yep. all aboard, Clutch City train. What's up that's, with this?
5: That's right. I I was I I just jumped both feet in to, to Rocket Man. <laughs> just being around Daryl Morey just uh like just fried my brain. No, okay. So to explain the pick, right? Okay. For one, I've picked the, the Warriors in every series basically for the last three years, right? I mean, okay. yep. Pick, yep. picking and I'm not saying that this is my reasoning behind picking the Warriors or picking the uh-huh. Rockets, but picking the Warriors is kind of boring, right? Okay. Right. That's
4: true. That's true. You're going I mean, out on a very, very long limb there by picking right. Warriors.
5: So, I mean, I've picked <laughs> the Warriors in every series possible. And I think that like when you try to take a, a step back and you zoom out on this matchup, you would say to yourself, yes, the, the Warriors have the firepower. They have four all-stars. We all know what the Warriors have and what they're capable of. But basketball common sense and convention would tell you the team that won 65 games has home court advantage, has a striking margin of victory their net rating on both offense and defense. This is a good pick. Like, this is a sensible, reasonable thing. But we, we sit here and we go, What are you doing? Because it's the Warriors and we know what they're capable of. But uh-huh. this, the Rockets are, they've got the guy that's about to win MVP on it. They have a deep bench. They have a rim protector, the guy that has played um, amazing defense in the postseason. They have a fantastic coach. They have uh, the ability to play multiple different lineups that could match up with the Warriors, and like I said, they have home court advantage. So, am I am I like a hundred percent in on the Rockets pick? No, it's like fifty one percent. That's why I went seventeen. <laughs> so I mean, I'm, not, I'm not all in on this, uh, but I th- I don't think it's so outlandish to pick the Rockets.
4: I don't think so either. I actually toyed with picking them, but I have cover common
5: sense.
4: (laughs) No, I've covered more of the Warriors and I was really concerned about the Warriors coming out of the regular season. Like I, I caught them kind of at the end of the regular season when they were just like, Oh my God, can we get the playoffs started? Right. I mean, they were just so fried from, you know, just waiting and waiting and waiting for the regular season to end. Steph was out. They got worked by 40 in Utah. I mean, I, that night was like the night when I started to question them, I was like, it's one thing to lose in the last night of the regular season when you don't need anything. It's another thing to lose by forty, right? Like that was like, do you have any pride, right? Like, what's going on right. here, guys?
5: And I will say, I saw Steve Kerr a quote today that he had that yeah. said he he doesn't remember the team being this locked in since 2015, and I I uh, I instantly regretted picking the Rockets. At the yeah, moment. no,
4: I I tweeted that quote.
5: Oh, <laughs> you, you know? did. Okay, see. So <laughs>
4: okay, so and, uh, but it was it was you know it was his media scrum before that, and and um I think it was Dieter from the san francisco uh san francisco paper up here who asked him like you know you said your team has been more locked in right now than you have been all year and he says you know is there another high water mark to compare it to and he goes yeah 2015 and i was like ooh, okay and you know having been around this team like okay so i i had a i had a friend in high school his name was mike montgomery and he was like the smartest guy in high school he was so he was just like one of those right like one of the top two three percenters like could get an a in every class like he just you know, he didn't even have to read the book. He just understood how to do AP calculus off the top of his head, right? Like he was he was just one of those guys. And he uh we were buddies, he was on the soccer team. I was a big jock also in softball and soccer and everything. Anyway, and he but he when he went out for academic decathlon, he was on the C team. I was like, wait, you get C's, you don't get A's? Like you're like the smartest guy in school. And he just kind of shrugged, like, yeah, whatever, right? And and you just kinda had that vibe of like I'm gonna A if I want to I don't know if I like it right but that's how the Warriors have felt to me this whole year like like they can they can blast people they can have this their great yeah. plus minus stats you put there and the, what what were the other things you cited offensive net rating yeah you know, net was... rating yeah yeah I'll see your net rating see you in June right like that's the vibe I've got from them all year and the only time I started to worry about them really was kind of at the end of the year when it just felt like they had sort of lost their spirit like they were stale and they reminded me a lot of those Lakers in the fourth year when they got swept by the Mavericks in the second round. Like they just, yeah. you know, kept waiting to flip the switch. Well, I think they flipped the switch. I mean, <laughs> they really, like, I didn't know if they were going to be able to do it, but they really seem to have done that. And I think actually the fact that, you know, guys like Steph and, and Katie and Draymond all missed time with injuries. I think that might've helped. I mean, it was almost like a little break in the middle of the season for them, you know, and they That's come right. back and you you've kind of, Realize what you've been missing, and, and, you know, at least against New Orleans, they, they really look like the Warriors of old. And, like, you know, I, I was wondering how Steph's knee was going to be. He looked pretty good, right? I mean, last time he had that injury, we, we didn't see the same Steph Curry. He, he looks like Steph Curry again. And so I, I, I think because they're the defending champs, because they have those, you know, the four all-stars, because of the Hamptons five, and because, quite frankly, the guys on the Rockets have never won before. Like, these guys are back— you know, I, I don't know. Do you read Joseph Campbell? Do you, are you into the hero's journey and stuff, Royce? No, like, I don't know. No, All right, no. I'm a little little literary here, okay. But, like, you know, Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey is always, like, you get to this threshold where you have the threshold guardians where you, you know, you're you going to keep coming to the same place in your life over and over and over until you finally become the hero and you rise right. above it, right? You have the same things that you keep messing up you the same things that keep getting you down. Well, all of the guys on the Rockets are there. All of them. You know, Chris Paul, James Harden, Mike D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni hasn't been back in the conference finals since he was since he was with the Suns. Right. I mean, it, this is like this is like they're finally back to where they've they've all gotten and fallen short. And so maybe this is the year they all rise above it. Maybe this is it.
5: See, but you're talking yourself into it.
4: I am. But but let's see it. You know, and I actually yeah. think the Rockets, I think they like being the underdogs. I think I don't think they like that you pick them. I think they want everyone against them. I think they're more comfortable in that role.
5: I kind of I, – I agree with that. I got that sense uh, with them in, in mm-hmm. the series against the Jazz. It's just like the idea that they were just like pummeling the Jazz and everybody could see it in that series yep. of how much uh, significantly better the Rockets were yep. than the Jazz. But you could see it like with Mike D'Antoni even af- after game one it, you know. And, and to his credit, he kind of anticipated the letdown that they had in game two. But it was like he was trying to pump the brakes being like, whoa, it's not that easy. It's not – you know, and, yeah. and here's the thing about the way the Rockets played against the Jazz that impressed me so much, Ramona, right. is they didn't right. even shoot the ball well. Like, I know. N- like one game, really one half yeah. is yeah. when they shot the ball well. And to me, that was like this team is capable of being a lot better than they were even in this series. And, and you know, it, it, yeah. some things went against the Jazz. The Jazz had to deal with some injuries. They really missed Ricky Rubio and they missed Dante Exum for the final two games. But all that said, Chris Paul was freaking amazing in the, in the latter half of that series, James Harden didn't even play that well. Clint Capella's defense was fantastic and just kind of as a whole unit, they just played really well together. Yeah. Now, all that said, I was thinking about it today. I actually, I was thinking about like, okay, you know, I'm not sure if I'm covering the finals or not, but I was kind of thinking like, man, I ought to get out and ha- get out ahead of this and go ahead and get a, uh, get a hotel book. And immediately my mind went to booking a hotel in Oakland. So I think, I know. Uh, I think my mind knows, my, my heart is with the Rockets right now, but my mind says, you idiot, you should have picked the Warriors.
4: Well, I mean, I think, it, you know, got, we talked about the. but you actually bring up a really good point that they won without even shooting the ball well. This Rockets team, like we think of them like every other Mike D'Antoni team, which is, yeah. you know, they shoot the lights out, you have tie, they They're actually not that kind of a team. They're not, they're, you know, they, they are a good shooting team, yeah, but that's not just why they win. They have a much better defense this year. Exactly. Their second unit's been really good. They have, you know, they. One of the stats, you know, I just heard today, which I think is going to be a pretty key thing in this series, is Steve Kerr brought it up. He said, you know, their their stats guys, um, and this is something they've been working on a lot, and you should look for it as we go forward in the series. Is talking about the long rebounds. Is that when they miss their their first three pointer, they actually get a lot of offensive rebounds, and they do very well shooting three pointers off their offensive rebounds. Yeah. There, I think the stat the Warriors had was that they're forty two percent from three off of offensive rebounds, which tells you a lot. Which means, I mean, obviously the defense doesn't have time to get reset after an offensive rebound, right? Generally speaking, it's just going to be like offensive rebound, kick back out, and either a dribble penetration and kick out or you just kick out for another three. But the, the fact that they are able to, you know, it's a different kind of team, right? Like they, they have Luke Mbamute and PJ Tucker and other guys.
5: There's like a toughness to them now, right?
4: Yeah, there's a toughness to them. And I think especially defensively. Like, I think they're going to be very physical in this series. And we haven't seen that unless Nene just plays the whole 40 minutes. Right. But last year, Nene was the only guy you worried about like that. Right. This year, I think they got three or four guys who you don't really want to tangle with.
5: One thing I like about them is that they, they, you know, we all know, like you kind of went over a like the whole Mike mm-hmm. D'Antoni stereotype of playing fast seconds, seven seconds or left. Yeah. But like, they – like in terms of pace, like they were like bottom half of the league. I think they were yeah. 16th. Uh, they've kind of been that same – they've played mostly the same type of pace in the postseason. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I like the way that, that that plays out in a series, especially against a team like the Warriors that can just crush you with those you – know, like Baxter Holmes wrote about. Like those the, the three most dangerous minutes in sports where they just hammer you with an avalanche – of like a 14-2 run that you just Mm -hmm. couldn't even see coming. I feel like the Rockets are built to kind of withstand those just with James Harden's ability to get to the free throw line, kind of chop up the game a little bit. They can ISO you so they can really grind you down, slow down, get the game under control, draw a foul, do whatever. You know, a lot of the things that the people get really annoyed with about the Rockets, you know, the, the foul drawing and all that type of stuff. I feel like it's going to work to their advantage when they're yeah. playing against a team like the Warriors that can just hit you with so many haymakers that you can kind of maybe chop it up and slow them down.
4: Yeah, and I think, you know, that's why I think we're going to see a lot of focus on the officiating in this series um, in the right. sense that, you know, the, the the James Harden's ability to get to the line, Chris Paul's ability to get to the line, it's not just about them getting points there and getting shots there, it's about that's where you get your rest, that's where – that's yeah, where exactly. you slow the pace down. That's where, you know, if they're going to play a lot of minutes, it's because they're getting a lot of time at the free throw line to catch their breath. And, you know, James, you know, is obviously one of those guys that we talk about officiating a lot because he does the, you know, the step-back three and the Euro step and all the all the continuation things that he gets calls for. But, you know, the playoffs, they've really been letting people play. And uh, it be interesting to see how he's refereed in this series, how Clay Thompson is refereeing in this series. I think the Rockets are going to be real physical with him. Because Clay's, is, you know, the guy that has to mm-hmm. get open. So if you if you are physical with him as he's running through pick and rolls and stuff, it's it changes what he's able to do. Um, yeah. I think that whole that whole matchup is going to be, you know, I, we we talk all about offense. I think this series will end up coming down to defense. I'm
5: curious to see. I'm curious to see how, you know, the the Rockets have a number of different bodies that they can throw at yeah. Kevin Durant. Um, PJ talk, Toc- PJ Tucker in the past has guarded Durant. Not I'm, yeah. now when I say, well, I'm doing it with air yeah. quotes cause nobody's defending <laughs> like Kevin around, Durant. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. But, um, but like PJ Tucker's, he he kind of takes the like the physical approach. He really tries yep. to get up under Durant. They go b- way back; they've known yep. each other for a long time. There's a real good trash talking vibe between those two. Oh yeah. Trevor Reese is kind of the more traditional guy that you could put on Durant. Kind of got the length and the athleticism. But I, you're going to see Chris Paul on him, I think, at a different time. You know, that's yep. something that that uh, you know Doc Rivers and the Clippers did, and it worked to great effect. Sparked a huge comeback um, in a game. I think it was Game Four in Oklahoma City in that uh, Clippers Thunder series. Is that you know and Durant. Has has improved immensely in this. And I think one thing also is the fact that he's with the Warriors and not the Thunder is that, you know, he's not just going to be ISOing at the elbows anymore. Um, Uh He's going to be catching off of movement. So I I don't know that the, the the kind of the defensive um, approach that Chris Paul would take would have as much effect on Kevin Durant, but if they're going to, if the, if the game's tight, and they're trying to ISO Durant now. Again, Durant has improved his handle. He's improved a lot of these different areas. But Chris Paul is going to get up underneath him, and that's the, that's one of the small Achilles' heels Kevin Durant still kind of has is that smaller guys can kind of get up underneath him and frustrate him uh-huh. and and take away kind of his ability to kind of beat you off the dribble. Um, so I think the I think the Rockets can throw you know three or four guys kind of at Durant, which will be pretty interesting.
4: All right. On that note, I have got to go to the game. Um, yeah. I. I'm supposed to be talking to people in a little
5: while. Uh talk to somebody other than me.
4: Yeah. Yeah, no, I enjoy talking to you though.